Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM. Channel 127, welcome to Progress After Dark. Good evening to everybody out there on the West Coast driving home in your vehicles. Hello to everybody else in the Middle and the East Coast. Welcome to Tell Me Everything, bringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble. I'm John Fugel saying, for the next three hours, we're going to be coming at you with a lot of what the kids call content. Uh, we call it information and entertainment and maybe maybe even the, the edge of humor. Uh, wow, I hope you had a nice weekend. Chris Hauselt's our executive producer. He's running this thing out of South Carolina. The great Thea Harper is producing this show out of Brooklyn. And uh, Professor Corey Brechneider will be with us tonight. It's been kind of a busy evening with the courts so far. You might have heard that Jack Smith is actually trying to get around Donald Trump's efforts to get around the courts. Jack Smith is going directly to the Supreme Court to try to stop Trump from pushing this claim that he somehow has blanket immunity and can never get in trouble for anything he ever does because one time he ran for president and came in second and got the job anyway. We're very happy. Professor Brett Snyder will be here very shortly this hour. Uh, Rhonda Handsome in hour number two. Very happy to have her back on the show. Uh, we'll be taking your calls with Rhonda all hour long. We have a lot to get to. It's been a very busy day. As I said, Special Counsel Smith has asked the Supremes to step in and immediately resolve Donald Trump's claims of immunity from prosecution. There has been a bit of action on that. We'll cover that with Professor Brett Schneider very shortly. God help all of our friends down in Tennessee. The greater Nashville region was hit by, they think, 13 tornadoes on Saturday. Six people were killed. More than 15,000 folks were still without power across Tennessee this afternoon. Uh, there's the other trial, the trial underway in D.C., the fun one to determine how much money former star of Borat 2, Rudy Giuliani, will have to pay for defaming Georgia election workers Shamos and Ruby Freeman. You'll recall back in August, Giuliani was already found liable for defaming them. They're the two Georgia election workers he lied about, and they suffered untold harassment and death threats because of the lie. Well, uh, he's already guilty. The trial is just to see how much he's going to be on the hook for, and it's going to be nice. Uh, the U.S. Air Force has punished 15 officers for their failure to prevent Jack Teixeira from transmitting classified documents on Discord. Horrifying news out of Russia, where Alex Navalny's lawyers say they've lost contact with him and that he's being disappeared into Russia's sprawling prison system. You know, it used to be you'd worry that Russia would disappear somebody and you never hear of them again. Now they put them in jail. And then they can disappear them once they're already in jail. Navalny was sentenced to 19 years in prison because he opposes the dictator Vladimir Putin. Also, uh, Zelensky will address the U.S. military officers at the National Defense University today as part of a last minute push to convince Congress to provide more money. Also, George Santos is engaged in plea negotiations with federal prosecutors to try to avoid a trial on fraud charges. We found out today that the Israeli military has been using white phosphorus, and they got it from us. This is not legal. Also, the National Black Nurses Association, more than 308,000 amazing members across 34 states, announced today they are moving their annual conference from Hollywood, Florida, to San Francisco, California, because they said Florida is not friendly to the National Black Nurses Association. The passage of anti-black policies and laws which have taken a destructive position to erase and silence black history and restrict diversity, equity, and inclusion programs in Florida schools, together with the NAAC travel ban 
and the recent senseless, racially motivated hate-fueled murders of three innocent black Americans in Jacksonville, Florida, has created a hostile, dangerous environment in the state. That's the National Black Nurses Association, 308,000 members who will not be having their annual conference in Florida because old Ronnie chases him away like Elon Musk chasing away the advertisers. And Elon Musk didn't just allow Alex Jones back onto his platform. He welcomed him back with a live chat. A lot of creepy stuff we have to break down. All right, let's get to it. Let's do a show. You guys know abortion rights is still our country's predominant political issue right now. And we've seen decisive wins in red states and blue states and swing states over the last couple of cycles that have given so much more momentum to abortion rights groups who are campaigning all over the country and they're going to double down in 2024. And we've seen the results. Pro-abortion rights overwhelmingly passed in deep red Kansas. Uh, a pro-abortion rights uh, Democrat was re-elected governor in deep red Kentucky. Democrats in the New Jersey legislature retained control of both houses against the anti-abortion rights Republican Party. In Ohio, that win for issue one means the state's constitution will now guarantee the right to abortion through viability and beyond for emergencies and the right to birth control, childbirth, fertility treatment, miscarriage management, the Wisconsin Supreme Court just this year, young people turned out to make sure that that court would protect women's reproductive rights. And don't forget, Virginia, Democrats won both houses in the legislature, which means Governor Youngkin is not going to be able to push through the abortion ban he championed all year long. These successes can't be denied. They reflect the popular will of the American people. And that's not going to stop the anti-abortion movement from trying to find a 2024 strategy after all these losses. And then there's Texas, where the woman-hating is the point. You know, when I was younger, I, I didn't really like when I would hear anti-abortion people called woman-hating. I, I used to just say, guys, no, it's, that's not fair. They, they, they're, they're wrong. They, they think abortion's wrong. They're, they're against it for religious reasons, but they don't, they don't hate women. I said this for decades. <laughs> I, I don't think I mean it anymore. Uh, Texas right now, Bans abortion in all cases, except when the pregnant patient's life is at risk. 20 women and two doctors are suing the state right now, arguing that law is not clear about pregnancies that threaten patients' health and that it's forcing doctors across the state to deny women care or risk going to jail. And the Supreme Court will have to make a ruling on that. But the callousness and hypocrisy of the so-called pro-life movement, the woman-hating of Texas Republicans, it's on full display right now. You've heard about Kate Cox mother of two from Dallas. She is in her 21st week of a pregnancy. Doctors have diagnosed her fetus with trisomy 18, a chromosomal anomaly. It's a genetic abnormality that's in all but very rare cases results in miscarriage, stillbirth, or an infant's death within the first few days after birth. It's fatal. Now, again, this woman has two young children already, and she wants a big family. And she's had to go to the emergency room four times during her pregnancy because she's had a lot of pain and discharge. So her doctor determined that an abortion would be the safest option for the mother's health to preserve her reproductive health so she can make more babies in the future. But under Texas law, any doctor who performs an abortion can go to jail for 99 years or face fines of at least $100,000. Through this September, Texas recorded only 34 abortion procedures performed in the state this year. According to state health statistics, of course, let me be more accurate, 34 legal regulated abortions. Texas has had far more than just 34 abortions this year. But to give you an idea of this, 34 legal abortions in Texas, January through September. In 2020, before the first of their laws went into effect, at this time of year, it was more than 50,000. So she filed for an emergency restraining order against Texas's abortion ban last week. And this case was the first time since Roe v. Wade that a pregnant patient has asked the judge to rule on their ability to terminate a pregnancy. Her case was filed last week. It was unusual because it was brought during the pregnancy. And again, at the same time, the Texas Supreme Court's considering her case. It's weighing this action brought by these group of women and their doctors represented by the Center for Reproductive Rights, trying just to clarify the limits of medical exceptions. That case is called Zorowski versus Texas, and that's women who said they were forced to continue pregnancies despite dangers to their health 
because the vagueness of the state's exemptions made doctors really, really sketchy about when a medical condition was serious enough to allow for an abortion. And the Republican Party doesn't care. The Republicans of Texas want to appear Christian. They want to boast of their piety. And they don't want to hear shit from these women whose lives they're ruining. They're not Christian, folks. They're not. Now, when this all happened, Ms. Cox said last week, it's not a matter of if I will have to say goodbye to my baby, but when. I don't want my baby to arrive in this world only to watch her suffer. I need to end my pregnancy now so I have the best chance for my health and a future pregnancy. What kind of a monster? Well, we'll get to that. You already know last week a district court judge sided with Kate Cox and said that forcing her to risk her ability to have kids in the future would be a genuine miscarriage of justice. Okay, I want to stress this again. Doctors told her that if she carries this pregnancy to term, it could threaten her health and her ability to have more children. So within hours, Texas's corrupt attorney general, the impeached Ken Paxton, appealed, and the state Supreme Court paused the lower court's order and prevented Ms. Cox from getting the procedure she needed, her doctors recommended, in Texas. Ken Paxton asked the Supreme Court to weigh in, and he put out a letter threatening anybody who provided the abortion to this woman with prosecution. So all the qualified doctors backed away because they were threatened by the attorney general of their state. Now the word has come in. Kate Cox has left the state of Texas to get an abortion elsewhere. Her home state, a judge said, yes, you need this. Your doctor says you need it. But the corrupt impeached attorney general, who I don't need to add this, is not a doctor, said, no, I'm making that choice for you, as other men have made that choice already. I wonder, will Texas attempt to prosecute Miss Cox for having an abortion when she returns? You know, this whole war on women's right to privacy began with Jerry Falwell. And it's nothing new. And after she fled, the Texas Supreme Court announced this evening, just before we went on air, they have vacated the ruling. <laughs> a whole lot of men are making this choice for a woman's body. The Texas Right to Life tweeted, We mourn the decision to take baby Cox's life rather than give her every chance at life. There are life-affirming options rather than abortion. This will tell you that these people are as ignorant and stupid as they are revoltingly fake Christian. Because there is no other life-affirming option. These are nice-sounding words you virtue signal to each other when you pretend to be Christian and shit on the actual Bible. The only other life-affirming option is government forcing Kate Cox to have a baby that will swiftly die in suffering agony while harming this woman's ability to have more children, you revolting, woman-hating, godless, fake Christians. Every story, like Miss Cox, reveals the lie behind the pro-life mantra. It's the real story behind the Republican push against abortion. It's not because they're Christian. If they gave a shit about what Jesus said, those Texans would be at the border welcoming the stranger with blankets and water. No. This is the Republican Party of Texas. They're not Christian. They identify as Christian. They boast of their devotion to the character of Jesus. They say they legislate as Christians. They force public schools to post Bible passages. Not of anything Jesus ever said. They're Christian nationalists. They're fundamentalists. They defecate on the actual teachings of Christ. They think turn the other cheek means leading the nation in the number of executions since the death penalty was reinstated in 1976. You don't support the death penalty and then ask us to believe you're Christian. Some of us have read the Bible. You're not. Texas Republicans think welcome the stranger means sabotage the Rio Grande River with razor wire to slaughter the Christian refugees and their children trying to cross. They bear false witness and spread it for Trump. They try to make the rich richer, the poor poorer. They're not Christian. Women are dying. Women are losing their uterus. Women are going through these despicable, unnecessary delays. Women are having procedures and medicines withheld from them. The state of Texas was trying to force Kate Cox to give birth to a baby that would die shortly after birth. She could have been left sterile if she had the baby. Her health was suffering. And the message from the Republican Christians of Texas was, you have no rights. You are a worthless American taxpayer. You have no recourse. You have no rights. And a woman carrying a dead fetus in her body 
was forced to escape her home state because of the revoltingly fake Republican Christians of Texas. And it's not just there. We saw last year this woman with the headless fetus in her body was forced to flee Louisiana because of the revoltingly fake Christian Republicans of that state. Her name was Nancy Davis, and Louisiana law said she had to carry her headless fetus to term or travel to Florida for illegal abortion. Horrific treatment for a grieving mother who wanted her baby. How about the 10-year-old girl who was raped in Ohio and was forced to flee her home to terminate the pregnancy in another state because of the revoltingly fake Christian Republicans of Ohio? These same Republicans who think a 10-year-old girl is old enough to be a mother are also calling to raise the voting age to be raised to 21. They have no concern whatsoever for these mothers. They are indifferent to their grief. And this really also shows up the claim Republicans are trying to make for 2024 when they keep saying these abortion bans are not harmful to mothers. We're not monsters trying to hurt women and girls. Nah, Kate Cox's story shows us how deep your lies are. These bans are about women and girls having no authority over their own bodies. Quick litmus test. Do you think that boys at age 15 should be forced by law to have vasectomies? So they can't cause any abortions. And then when they're ready to have children as responsible adults, show up and the government will give you a free vasectomy reversal. There you go. Well, men would never cop to that. Men would never allow it. Men would say, you can't tell me what I can and can't do with my body. Should the state have the power to take a kidney out of you to give it to someone who's dying? Ask this of your right wing friends. Should the state have the power to against your will? Strap you down, take your bone marrow and your blood and your kidney and whatever other parts they need to save a human life. You don't deserve body autonomy. Come on, we need your bone marrow. You want to save this innocent life, don't you? So, yeah, hours before the ruling, a group representing the woman whose fetus had this fatal diagnosis said she was leaving Texas for an abortion. And then the Texas Supreme Court ruled against her anyway. Kate Cox is a taxpaying American citizen who can't make her own health care decisions because some people couldn't bring themselves to vote for the lesser of two evils in 2016. It's easy to blame Republicans, easy to blame right wing Christians. But let's not forget this is happening because in 2016, a few thousand men without uteruses in swing states decided they were too pure to compromise their liberal holiness and vote Hillary Clinton. And because three states had enough 77,000 guys without uteruses who loved the smell of their own farts and went for Jill Stein knowing they were in a battleground state. Those men, those liberal men, are why Kate Cox is fleeing her home state tonight. Never forget it. Kate Cox is proof that no one can ever say, ever again, that both parties are the same. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do.
I'm John Fugelsang. This is SiriusXM Progress. Welcome. We are at 866-997-4748. So Jack Smith, he is not wasting any time. He took Donald Trump's request for criminal immunity right to the Supreme Court. And Smith and his team of federal prosecutors today filed what they called an extraordinary request in an extraordinary case and ask the Supremes to weigh in on an expedited basis as promptly as possible whether Trump is entitled to the immunity he claims he's entitled to for his behavior while he was president, namely his lies and fomenting an insurrection on January 6, 2020. Uh, of course, Donald Trump is not a king and our founding fathers didn't want kings, but it's an aggressive bid from Smith, they say. So I need to go to someone who is the smartest person in the room on this and most other subjects, and that's Professor Corey Brechneider, who you know from his work as a poli-sci professor at Brown University or his works in the New York Times or Time Magazine. You should own his book, The Oath in the Office, A Guide to the Constitution for Future Presidents. Also check out his Penguin Liberty series books on free speech, impeachment, and RBG's notable cases. The new one's coming out soon. I'm waiting for my copy. Professor Corey Brechneider, welcome back. Uh, thanks, John. Looking forward to, to talking. Somehow every week there's uh, something new that's pressing to talk about. This week's no exception. My goodness, Professor, it's so, so true. Uh, Apparently, the Supreme Court granted Jack Smith's request to expedite consideration of his petition. Uh, And Trump has, uh, I think, a a week or two to respond. Can you explain what's going on here? Because I do a really good job of pretending I know what I'm talking about here. But this is kind of messy. I, I haven't seen Jack Smith jump to attention like this in a while. Yeah, this is one of the chapters of the Oath in the Office. It's something that I've covered pretty well. And uh, I'll just start by saying there's a debate about whether or not a sitting president is uh, potentially subject to prosecution or is immune from prosecution because of the importance of the office. And there's actually a pretty long argument, one that I disagree with, but that this court is very sympathetic to that dates certainly to the Nixon administration. There are versions of it earlier. uh, That say that when you're president, you can't be prosecuted. And really the arguments, centered at the time on whether or not Richard Nixon could be prosecuted. And one of the most important documents is a Department of Justice memo that says Mm. sitting presidents, sitting vice presidents can be prosecuted, but not sitting presidents. Now, that would be partisan, except for the fact that that the Department of Justice had another memo during the Clinton administration that said the same thing. And part of the arguments about the dignity of the office, part of it is about the idea that the president is so important to the functioning of the federal government that a president facing indictment or trial would, would just undo the functioning of the nation. So now the the courts never answered the question, basically, even for sitting presidents. Right. And, right. and uh, But they have given indications in both, like both an indication that no presidents are not immune. And the, the, the indication there was in the U.S. versus Nixon case, which was about the idea supposedly that a president is not above the law and has to answer a criminal subpoena. Uh, but on the other side, there's a case called Nixon versus Fitzgerald about a civil mm-hmm. case. And the court there talked about immunity for sitting presidents in civil cases. Now, here's the thing. I think this is Trump's best argument. When you look in Fitzgerald, it's not about a criminal case. It's about civil liability. But it, it says that there is immunity even after somebody's president for acts within the Supreme Court said, the outer perimeter of official duty. And what within does that, that mean? outer perimeter, well, we've got to talk about that in a second. Yeah. Uh, but there it was about a firing. It was an unjust political firing um, of an uh, executive branch employee. Uh, uh, and um, there, somebody wouldn't do Nixon's bidding. And so the, the court was willing to say, look, it's, it was unjust, but and maybe Fitzgerald would have won in court but we're not going to allow suits to proceed for sitting presidents because we don't want them to be overly distracted when they're making their decisions. It would be a disaster, they say, if, if every decision a president made was subject to, uh, to, to civil liability. Now, right. we're talking about a criminal case, not a civil case, so that's one difference. Uh, but I think he's going to say the idea of Fitzgerald is you can't hold the president responsible for what uh, for for actions, especially official actions, while they're president. That was January 6th, the insurrection, an official action. I think that's what his lawyers will try to say, that he had a sincere belief that he was acting in the best interest in the country and protecting against 
electoral fraud, and that's why there's immunity. Now, we could go into why I think that would be a terrible decision for the Supreme Court, but that's what they're going to say. It's not it's not a, a nothing argument, and there's a reason why Smith really wants to take care of it, partly to keep any more delays from happening, but he's got to win on that argument or he loses the whole thing. I mean, Corey, this, I've been saying that this case uh, is the biggest court case in the history of the United States. There's yeah. never been a bigger one than this, has there? Uh, the ex-president who I mean, tried to are, throw out our democracy. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. There have been some big ones. This is definitely up there. Um, but, uh, you know, so Dred Scott, maybe that was bigger. Uh, maybe, which yeah. the Civil War. <laughs> sure, is, okay, maybe, maybe. Terrible. Here, you know, there, there's OJ. There's a few options, yeah. There's OJ. <laughs> Uh, U.S. versus Nixon is often thought to be certainly one of the most important ones. And there, I think you're absolutely right when you compare this to that. That was about this a subpoena of inf- for you know information for these tapes. Compared to the question of whether or not a former president can be prosecuted, I, I think that pales in comparison. And that was obviously a very big deal case. And, you know, it might be decided right here on this, this question of immunity. I mean, I will say I, I think what a disaster it would be. First of all, the idea that this was an official duty, that he was, you know, undermining the election, I think by definition, crimes are not official duties. So if the court <laughs> goes the other way, that's really mm-hmm. making a horrific. I tried to, you know, give the best explanation of what they could say the other way. But crimes are not official duties. And, and that case, Fitzgerald, is very clear that if you're not acting in the official duties of the office, or even if you're at the borderline, that's what that outer perimeter thing means. That if you're at the borderline of official duties, uh, no, you don't get immunity. And I think what they're really trying to open up is the possibility of a president who committed a crime and not wanting to protect that. So, you know, let's hope that the Supreme Court doesn't just disregard that precedent and and do what they want and that they do the sensible thing. I mean, really what's at stake here, you know, just to lay it out, is the question of whether or not a president is above the law. And that yeah. U.S. versus Nixon case, <laughs> you know, that it announced that principle that a president's not above the law, but it actually left it pretty open. And the failure to prosecute Nixon really kept us from answering this when we should have decades ago. And if we, you know, if this court blocks it, it's yet another argument for how this court has really lost its own legitimacy and, and uh, strengthens the argument for for packing the court, for doing anything to, to undo a, a court that would make such an egregious decision. I don't think, by the way, they're going to say that he's immune. I think that Jack Smith's going up to the Supreme Court, you know, early with confidence because uh, there's just nothing really that, that justifies it. The whole rationale of immunity for criminal conduct is that sitting presidents, you don't want them to be distracted by this, you know, issue of a trial. And obviously mm. he's not president now. So that that argument just dissipates completely. Um, okay, so so I know that Trump is trying to delay this because that's what Trump does. His goal is to delay everything, try to become president next year and make all this go away. But how yeah. rare is it for this special counsel Smith to go directly to the Supreme Court? I think the big it's very rare, but I think the precedent here is that US versus Nixon case again. Right. Uh, just to remind listeners, this is an instance in which the grand jury uh, and and the special prosecutor, Leon Jaworski, wanted to find out if there was evidence of a cover-up or the crime of Watergate. And they thought that Nixon talking about it in the Oval Office would have that information. So they went to the Supreme Court directly uh, to try to preempt any any long legal process where Nixon could have drawn this out. And they just said, do we have the right or not to subpoena the tapes? And the court in a 9-0 uh, decision said, yes, the president's not above the law when it comes to a criminal subpoena. So uh, so now, Jaworski was successful. He got the tapes. Of course, those tapes got to the impeachment inquiry. Eventually, they were handed over by the grand jury, and Nixon resigned. So I think that's the move here, too, that Smith sees what Jaworski did. Uh, mm. And and the the deputy who argued the case, uh, who's somebody I've interviewed for this forthcoming book, uh, Philip Lacavora, the two of them, you know, had a brilliant win, and and that's what Smith is looking for too. And he's using the same procedural move that was used in U.S. versus Nixon to expedite. And as you say, I don't I want to lose sight of your extremely important point. It also, in addition to getting it resolved, it counters Trump's main move, which is delay, delay, delay.
Exactly. Yeah. This is just Jack Smith trying to make sure this whole thing stays on track. Uh, we're at 866-997-4748. Corey, I'd like to shift it really briefly. I have other Supreme Court questions, but I- I'm dying to know your thoughts on what we witnessed last week with the three presidents of these Ivy League universities um, showing up for what they thought was a hearing about their campuses and uh, Islamophobia and uh, uh, anti-Semitism. In reality, they were showing up for the uh, Elise Stefanik is thirsty and doesn't care if Harvard rescinds her degree show. Um, yeah. What did you make of what? We, I mean, look, first thing, I'm not here to defend what any of those presidents said. I was shocked right. at how tone deaf it all was. I don't think they realized what they were walking into. No. But I'm curious what you thought of uh, both their their statements last week and, and the context they said was necessary. Necessary in terms of how to respond to genocide. For those who might have been in a coma last week, they were asking the presidents of the universities, you know, uh, if someone is calling for genocide on your campus, do you have to shut that down or is that a free speech issue? Now, if this was Twitter, Elon Musk would say you have to make give a pedicure to the Jew haters, but it's different when it's uh, adults. What did you make of all of this and the fallout that followed, Corey? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing to say is just to reiterate what you said, that, you know, this was an attempt to make these people look badly bad. And Stefanik was looking for her, you know, 30 second clip, which she got. Uh, But I do think that, you know, having said all that and they were under four hours of pressure and, you know, I understand why they did badly. But I think we've got to concede that a lot of it was terribly done because they didn't do the main thing that a university really needs to do, not just an individual, which is to stand for something. And universities stand for inquiry. They stand for basic rights. Uh, They certainly stand for the idea that uh, genocide is a human rights violation that has to be countered. And, you know, to fail to just start with that, I think that was the real failure. There is a sort of idea that unfortunately I think they're beholden to that I really am against, which is that the university is supposed to always be neutral when it comes to issues of controversy. But you see how absurd that is if uh, they're saying that genocide is a neutral issue. And there are these Chicago principles on free speech, which I've often criticized because I think they're too extreme in their embrace of uh, idea of neutrality. And that's really what you saw there. But, you know, the way I would have done it is, on the one hand, talking about the university's obligation to condemn genocide, certainly, but also talk about the speech issue. That's when it comes to punishment, to kicking somebody out of the university for Mm. saying something in class or online. uh, You know, it, it does depend. I mean, certainly if you say, let's go out tomorrow and commit genocide against the campus's Jews, that. That's not a hard case, and that's what, what they fail to say is by, you know, saying context. That's an easy case in which, of course, somebody should be um, thrown out, possibly prosecuted for a criminal incitement. But if yeah. they say something more, you know, like that the Nazis were great or something evil like that, but, you know, generalized, and, and uh, then I think it should be condemned, as I keep saying. That's the university's obligation. Uh, but should they be kicked out for it? There, there. I think there's an argument to not punishing a student. After all, these are universities. We're supposed to be educating students. And the yeah. thought is that, you know, if you're stupid enough to say something like that, uh, we shouldn't just turn you loose. So I think we should we should should really take the time to try to figure out where this thinking went so wrong that somebody would say something like that. So they didn't say any of okay. that. They used this phrase context. They were frustrated. They were doing this stupid neutrality thing, which unfortunately I think is a deeper problem than just their statements. Uh, They were prepped by a law firm, by the way, as if they were going to go and testify in court. And this was anything but that. Um, So, you know, I'm not sympathetic. I think they did a terrible job and that the issue was way too important to handle in the way that they did. But there was something to the idea that the context matters when it comes to a very specific question, which is, are we going to punish these students by throwing them off campus or fire a professor. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that is a, a hard case that you have to look at the facts and, and really think about the different nuances of the, right. of the situation. To me, the whole thing leans into the dynamic we don't discuss too much of uh, what is it university presidents do? I mean, the presidents aren't <laughs> educating, right? The presidents are trying to get more donors. They're fundraising all the time. So the president doesn't think about academic freedom. The president thinks, oh, is this prominent family of donors going to rescind their pledge and not give us that new wing on the medical building next year? I mean, we, we have to view it through that prism, right? That like 
university presidents, they're, they're like politicians. Their job is just raising money all the time. And that makes it very different when you've got a university president who just can't just come out and say, yeah, calling for genocide is bullshit. I mean, I don't know why it was so hard for any of them to say it, but yeah. that's really a dynamic that's at play have, here, isn't it? I think that's certainly part of it is the donor base. They have different constituencies that the faculty rise up. Uh, there was Gordon Gee, for instance, at Brown, uh, right before I got there about 25 years ago, was voted down by the faculty and was fired as a result. So it can go wrong in a lot of ways. It's a pretty hard job. The students also, if they turn on you, uh, your job, might, your days might be numbered as well in the job. And certainly the donors are a huge part of it. And fundamentally, the trustees often are donors in addition to alums. So they have the actual power to uh, fire a president. So I'd yeah. say all of these things matter. But I mean, to me, when I look at the best university presidents, they don't act in the way. And the same is true for politicians, by the way. The, you know, the worst politicians are just thinking short term and the best statesmen are thinking long term and their power comes partly from their credibility. So, you know, I, I'd love to see and I, I really don't think any of these presidents lived up to this uh, at that hearing, yeah. certainly. But, uh, you know, the idea that you would have a principled view about free speech and that you would enforce it, that you'd be able to explain it to, to all these constituencies and even to Congress. <laughs> and, I mean, and you're going really on television in front of Congress. Yes. If ever there's a time you're going to, you know, check with some friends about your comments in advance. Like, I, if, yeah. if I was performing in front of Congress, I'd, I'd try out my set on people, you know, to make sure I wasn't going to get fired from my job. It, it has been interesting seeing which university communities like Harvard have rallied behind their president with support, yeah. knowing that this thing was a... They, they were sitting ducks and it was a hit job by Elise Stefanik, or we're like UPenn. They just cut their president loose. That's been fascinating. Right. right. I think, I mean, my understanding of the dynamic at Penn was that behind the scenes, there had already been a, a clamoring for her to go. And then this was obviously the last straw. There you go. Uh, I know a, a lot of the people, including the, one of the organizers that put together the Harvard letter, they didn't, I thought that was pretty interesting. They had two sentences that were basically like, let's not cave in to political pressure and, you know, make our decisions based on Stefanik. And so they yeah. weren't defending her. And a lot of people on that letter were very critical of her performance before Congress. But they were sort of yeah. saying, let's see if she can kind of get it together and, and, and do better in the future. So, I mean, that's, you know, an interesting call. And, yeah. uh, you know, she has a good reputation. I could see giving her, she's only a few months into the job, giving, giving her another chance. Yeah. Uh, just let's be always ask her the genocide question, you know, give her another shot. Uh, it's not a hard <laughs> yeah, question. I'm just saying it's folks. We are so firmly anti genocide here on the show, and I don't want to have any ambiguity about that. We are against killing large amounts. Of, or we're also against small yeah. amounts, but we're against yeah. regional killing, you know, like a, a spree. We're against that, too. Not hard. Yeah. Corey, I, I, we've only got a minute left, but I got to ask you about this. Trump said today that he would no longer testify at his civil trial, as was previously planned. He's already spent one day on uh, on the witness stand uh, last month while the state prosecutors were making their case. But this morning, it was very abrupt, just said he wouldn't do it. And it's interesting because this seems to be a trial he really cares about here in New York City. He's already guilty. They are going to destroy uh, the business that he inherited and destroyed from his father. Uh, does this a sign that He's really scared. What do, you, what, what do you make of this? I mean, if I was his lawyer, I'd do anything to keep him from yeah. testifying. His lawyers are terrified of him lying under oath or telling the truth. Yeah, I mean, I think they realize that if he got on the stand, he would be the hugest witness against his own interests and his own company. You could imagine because he can't. I mean, it's like he's lawyers never have that. You can't handle the truth moment. But I believe Trump on the stand, you might actually get it. And he really is that just sort of erratic. So they must have been just working on him and working on him and working on him to urge him not to do this. And finally, he listened. And um, it was a long time in coming. And I guess they must have just been able to, uh, you know, he's he's a crude person, but he also is super self-interested and when he realized the financial risk and probably gave him the details of how this happened and I'm sure got confidence to to tell him that uh you know the self-interest 
was the risk was just too high and um, too bad we were deprived something that I really would have liked to have seen. <laughs> oh, we could have had something beautiful. We could have had something beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about the trial of the century. It would have been right. You know, it would have it would uh, have been the you, you can't handle the truth moment that, that we all wanted. Someone, someone get this man on tape and release it to the public this year. Professor, it's such a pleasure having you back. I, I hope you're well. What is the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with all your work? You can read my stuff uh, at uh, com, or, as you say, buy a copy of The Oath in the Office or even pre-order uh, the book. It's out July 2nd for July 4th, uh, The Presidents and the People. Nice. It's a pleasure to have you, sir. Thank you so much for joining us. We got to take a very quick break. We'll be back in just a moment with your calls. This is Progress After Dark. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John saying We are at 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. Bruce in California. Thank you for your patience on hold. You're on SiriusXM. What's up? Good evening to you. Hey, how's it going? Um, How are you? Great. A couple things. I'd like to give out the phone number, if possible, to the Attorney General's office in the state of Texas. Please do. I've called them twice. It's... Uh, Area code 512-463-2100. What will happen is they'll answer the phone an operator and just tell them you want to speak to somebody in the attorney general's office, and then you can tell them what you think. I That's was five, pretty, let's I say it one more time. Five, five, so oh. everyone gets it. 512-463-2100. Yeah, 2100. Okay. Yes. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for that. I was uh, pretty civil on Friday when I called today. Not so much, but uh, uh, <laughs> I try. I, I try to be, but these. I, I ask them, "How do you work for such a piece of, you know what?" But, That's yeah. it. You got to be nice to the person who answers the phone, and you got to let them know that they take money I, from a rat bastard, from a godless, unholy, evil rat bastard. You're feeding your family, serving evil. But I'm sure you're very nice. I know how it is. It's customer service. You got to do it. Yeah, and then we we need to talk about. Uh, the case in Ohio, the woman which one? In the uh, um, what's her name? Brittany Watts, the thirty-three-year-old woman who yes. was arrested. Sure. I mean, this is just what is I. I, I mean, she's being charged for abusing don't. a corpse, right? Like she had a miscarriage. Yes. Yes. And yes. they're trying to say that. <laughs> It, like into a it, like like tissue fell from her body. She miscarried into a into a toilet, and they're prosecuting her and you know what that's about that's angry republicans who are furious that issue one passed and so they're going to make sure that they lose more elections by doing this they could they tried so hard to suppress the vote you know all fall all summer they tried so hard to suppress the vote ohioans showed up in huge bipartisan numbers they tried to make sure that people couldn't vote i mean my god they just they hate women and then now they see how unpopular it was and they're charging this young woman for abuse of a corpse because she flushed a toilet after a miscarriage. This is the same state with a 10-year-old sexual assault victim. Yeah, it's just crazy. Um, I, I don't know what to say. I just, I, I, just uh, I, I hope that we can turn it around in 2024 and maybe we can get white women to do the right thing. White women do? Well, uh, let's hope so. I mean, no, we'll see. It's going to be very interesting. You're right. White women yeah. went, went for Trump. and The women dead inside went for Trump, and it's very depressing. Uh, but again, that is white women. Most women, uh, and most women who aren't dead inside, went for the opponent. Let me tell you, the media wants you to believe that Joe Biden is so old, everyone else is caught old, and we're all too old to show up and vote against Trump. It's not how it works. You can't catch old. No one's voting for Biden. They're voting against Trump. And believe me, everything you just laid into shows why we are going to have a huge turnout next year. Bruce, thank you. You make me want to be a better man. Not that I'm a good one to begin with. Quick break. We'll be back in just a moment with the great Rhonda Handsome and your calls for the full next hour. This is Progress After Dark. We're at 866-997-4748. And we'd love to hear from you.
I'm John Fugelsang. This is SiriusXM Progress. We're at 866-997-4748. People of Earth, it is now my great pleasure and honor and duty to introduce Miss Rhonda Handsome, terrific stand-up comedian, writer, actor, director. She's open for Anita Baker and Diana Ross, and she opened for Aretha. She does great solo shows, and she is directing another online performance of Between the Wires. Oh, that was just last, that was just last night. My God, Rhonda, tell us all about it. Welcome back. I'm black, y'all. And I'm back. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Last week's uh, tease for your sh- reading was still in my intro tonight, so it's my fault. But um, it, you did the reading last night. Tell us how it went, please. John, the name of the piece is Between the Wires. It was um, presented online by the Frank Silvera Writers Workshop. And I'm so happy to say that some of your audience were actually there online, uh, you know, giving feedback. Uh, right on. And it's about missed connections. It's about uh, lost love and between two mature people who met in a concentration camp. And, and it has so much humor that I could not resist this piece, you know, in the same way that uh, that movie Life is Beautiful yeah. had so much heart and um, peace by uh, Adam uh, Zudrich mm-hmm. is just beautiful. I had wonderful actors, Robin Lane, uh, Peter Kingsley. Uh, I've worked with Robin Lane before. Peter Kingsley was recommended to me by Bob Greenberg, a comedian friend of mine. I love Bob Greenberg. The response was just overwhelming. And, you know, in spite of the fact that it's about people who have been traumatized with life, it had humor, it had heart, it had soul. And I really felt honored to have such great actors, uh, producers, and so much wonderful feedback from the audience. Oh, congratulations, Rhonda. I'm so glad that you feel so good about it. And hey, Mitch from Kent State raved about your reading when he went. So, I mean, my God, uh, one of these days I'll get to come to one that's going to be in person in a theater when I'm not working online at night. But I thank you so much for, for telling us about it. <laughs> well, when's, when's, when's your next one? I'm, I, I want everyone to get to see a chance to see well, you both have, on stage I and behind the scenes. I have some coming up. I what's have up, what's some next? coming up. Um, there's going to be um, Brooklyn Bridge and Fences. We it, it's this whole thing is to nurture writers, and so uh, we're going to uh, be looking at Brooklyn Bridge and Fences, mm-hmm. and then also prenuptial disagreements. So uh, I will have on my social media uh, when uh, people can come and see those. This Sunday evening, seven o'clock. Eastern Standard Time, 4 p.m. in the Pacific Time. And and it's a great chance to be at home and catch some uh, original theater in the making. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Well, you are the best, Miss Handsome. Thank you so, so much. I'm glad to have you with us. And I wanted to ask you, I want, want to talk to our listeners, of course, but before I wanted to know your thoughts on um, the passing of Norman Lear. Uh, it was very sad. Uh, this man was a major force in television, in television comedy, and um, uh, he created an era. And and what I w- was not aware of was that a black writer was really the co-creator, uh, an instigator, uh, suggester of much of the uh, projects that were black. And he had, uh, Eric Monte had to actually fight to get paid for his contribution for these shows. Not only did he have to fight to get paid for um, suggesting the shows, uh, creating the shows uh, and and getting proper compensation for his uh, involvement, then he had to fight in the writer's room because the writers wanted to do stereotypical that's right material for these these black actors and he was fighting for the reality of what he was writing from it, it it's it almost echoes a little bit of the the way 
people have been shortchanged in the music industry, but I, sure. I was not aware. I, I was not aware how the major contribution that Eric gave to the career of Norman Lear, who you he can't really deny that Norman changed the face of, of comedy. Well, my understanding was that Eric Monty wrote a wrote a script for All in the Family that they they use, and that script led to the creation of the Jeffersons. And then from there, he produced Good Times, uh, and What's Happening, and what and he had already written Cooley High, right? He was the writer of the film Cooley High, and What's Happening was based on that. And then Cooley High also inspired uh, The White Shadow. But uh, apparently, at some point, Eric Monty filed a lawsuit against CBS and against Norman Lear of stealing his ideas for Good Times and The Jeffersons and What's Happening. And he also suggested uh, a black cast for what was at that time a popular British series that when Norman Lear did it, it was Sanford and Son, but not giving any credit to Eric Monte uh, about that. It, it, it saddens me. It, it saddens me just to bring it up and, and to find it out when when we are mourning the loss of someone in the industry who, you know, has had such a, uh, a large footprint. Um, yeah. it, 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 it's very sad, John. Well, Eric Monte is still he's still alive. He's still with us. He, he said he received a million dollar settlement and some residuals from good times, but he, he stopped getting any work after the lawsuit and he fell on, on terribly hard days, uh, and, and became very poor. Yes. Uh, I know now, uh, apparently the, the internet tells me he's back living in Portland, Oregon, and he will turn 80 years old on Christmas day, this coming Christmas day. So I actually wonder if we're going to be seeing and hearing a lot more about Eric Monty now with the passing of, uh, Norman Lear. And it's going to bring this whole story back, uh, into the open. Well, yeah, after that settlement, he he was blackballed, essentially, you know, yeah. not that there were that many black writers in in television at that time. And then he he became so depressed that he, you know, he be, he fell into drugs and depression and uh, his life was, you know, just horrible for quite some time. And as you say, he's pulled himself out of it. But. John, I I just can't stand this repetition of uh, people being cheated out of recognition, people being cheated out of financial uh, compensation. I agree. And I really agree. And it's like, well, if we can get away with it, why bother giving them the the full recognition? Why bother uh, acknowledging that? These people suggested the basis for a television empire. You're right. You're totally right. And again, you know, it's taking nothing away from the life and legacy of Norman Lear and the work he did and all the shows he did that touched our lives. But these destinies are intertwined. And I'm actually really glad you brought Eric Monty up because I've I've heard of him before and I've heard this controversy before. But I didn't hear it anywhere in the news in the last week uh, after we lost Norman Lear. So thank you very much for for bringing him up. And it is my deepest hope that, that Mr. Monty can maybe get one of his scripts sold now maybe all the attention that's being paid to him and and people being aware of the injustices he suffered maybe this will be a chance for him to to sell something i know he's been he's spent all of these years trying to get scripts produced and he's had i think he had like some moesha and wayans brothers episodes produced back in the 90s but that's been about it yes and uh, i i hope from your mouth to to god's ears and and wallet that he can he can get uh, recognition and 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 in this late time in life, continue to be creative and uh, and recognize for yeah, what he it, has baby. to offer. Well, thank you. We we have a lot of listeners who want to weigh in and uh, get your thoughts on the news of the day. Are you ready, Miss Hansom, to talk to the evil army of the night? I'm ready. I love. We're going to get to everybody. We're going to get to everybody. All right, uh, Robin Orlando. Hello and welcome. Good evening. You're on Sirius XM. Happy December. Happy December, John. What? Merry Christmas to, to you and Rhonda. I hope everything. Merry Christmas well. to you and your family as well. What's up? Oh, John, Alex Jones, how wonderful it is that he's back on Twitter. I, I, I just love it when, you know, normal, level-headed people allow free speech to reign again. It's just, it's great. Do you admire Alex Jones? I watch him, yes. Do you respect he is on, him? He, he is joined. 
Is he, he a man you respect? Steven Crowder on his. Hold on. Is he a man you respect? Absolutely. Yes. Is he a man you'd like to be more like? I don't know if I want to be more like him, but I, I, I like it. I like his show. He does good work. And um, the lies never bothered you, right? Of course not. Okay. John, you lied you. to everyone on your on your show. So I what lie have to I told, you. please? What lie have I told? Uh, you you told the lie last week that Nikki Haley is the front runner. Nikki Haley is not the front never, runner. That's a lie. I never John. said. I've never said she was the front runner. I tell the joke all the time. These yes, debates. That's all. I never did. No, the, to be the front runner to be a distant second is the joke I've told nonstop. Ron DeSantis is now with the front runner to be a distant second. Uh, last week they were saying Nikki Haley wow. might be in the running to be a distant second, but Trump's fifty points ahead of all of them. I never said she was the front runner. That's rubbish. Come on. What's a lie I told? <laughs> you, you don't. You don't mind lies, well, we so I don't know why. Jan- we can go with January sixth, John. What lie did I? What lie did I? Operation. Oh, it was a fault. Who was it? Was it a terrorist act? So can you you tell me which which of the? Yeah, no, it was terrorism according to the dictionary. So which person who's in jail is innocent? Which which person who pled guilty? uh, Give me a name. Someone in jail who pled guilty. Now give me one specific. Give me one name. You don't know any, do you? uh, We can go with the. We can go with. You don't know any names. What's his name? You're right. I don't know. I don't know his real name. See, you just say this stuff. Okay, we got to go. Listen, I got to go talk to grownups now, but you go ahead. Send Alex Jones a lot of money, okay? He's fighting so hard for you. And those those parents in Newtown. I will send my money to Donald Trump. Oh, that definitely. Please send Donald Trump. You got to say, yes, please send Donald Trump. He's fighting really hard for you. By the way, uh, the Newtown parents, the, the, the Newtown parents, what do you think of them? They lost their children. They were grieving. Alex Jones owes them $1.5 billion for his lies about them. I assume you think that that was a miscarriage of justice and that those parents should fuck off, right? That their kids really weren't killed? That there really was a, a actors? That, that entire thing, all those kids were actors. It was a ploy yeah, by the American okay. government. There we go. To, yeah, there were no kids killed in Sandy Hook, right? Tell them. Tell the people. Use our airwaves. There were no children killed yes. in Sandy Hook, right, Rob? No children killed in no, Sandy Hook, right? And, and 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 again, and Donald Trump won the twenty twenty. Donald Trump won the twenty twenty election, right? Donald Trump won the twenty twenty yeah, election. He did. And yeah, January sixth was feds dressed as Trump supporters, yeah. trying, trying exactly. anything they could do to make sure Joe Biden didn't become president because the feds wanted exactly. Trump to be president, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And the female orgasm, that's a myth, right? Female orgasm, Rob, that's a myth too, right? Female orgasm? What about 9-11? No, because I have a child, John, so my wife orgasm, so... (laughs) No, I don't believe you. you. I don't think you've ever made a woman come in your life. What about 9-11? Was that an inside job? (laughs) Was 9-11 an inside job, please? Absolutely. Yeah. Of course it was. Okay. We got to go. You have a good evening and enjoy your porn. Thank you. We're at 866. This racist douchebag. Rhonda, this guy, he's the Orlando John, racist. I'm we so got a couple of them. That, I'm glad this caller was so enthusiastic because it gave me a chance <laughs> to wear my tinfoil do rag while he nice. was talking. I really <laughs> needed that on. Oh, man. Yeah, they're all political prisoners because the FBI dressed up as Trump supporters and they attacked the Capitol because they wanted Trump to be president. See, they wanted to stop the voting. Donald Trump said stop the certification and the FBI helped him because the FBI didn't want Biden to be president. That's that's their argument, Rhonda. We got the dumbest racists in this country. We really do. Well, Uh, I I like dumb races better than the smart ones. The smart ones do more damage. (laughs) Yeah, we haven't had too many of those lately. Let me go to Mitch in Kent State. Hi, Mitch. Welcome. You're on Sirius XM. (laughs) That guy tried so hard to get us angry, and it's like, dude, what are you doing? Get get a life. Go ahead, Mitch. Oh, boy. Uh, Rhonda, love you, Rhonda. Love you, Mitch. Yeah, that was uh, John. Uh, yeah, that that uh, run this production last night just just excellent. Uh, you got to see it. That's great. Yeah, you know, uh, the story is endless. It, it it's an endless love story. Uh, you know, no matter the setting, it still has the same uh, the same. Uh, you know, at, at the end, well, not the same ending, but I mean the same uh, feel that uh, you know two two people that uh, uh, you know. Uh, 
apart for so many years and 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 then together again and just uh you know all the quirks and everything is just 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 beautiful and uh that's great uh, robin and uh and, and peter just just excellent work what's cool john is you know we 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 come to New York now and then. You know, we visit my daughter. We'll go see a play, and you know, now and then. But to able, this is just so easy to just you know link up and and watch and, and watch people. You don't need sometimes you don't need all the props and you know. And, no, it's a reading in the background in the scenery. Yeah, you know, it, it's a reading. It's the people delivering the lines that Look you know at you, it, Mitch. It's the heart of the story. And we're just, turning you into a theater guy, Mitch. I love this. <laughs> I always have. I'm a become a closet theater guy. I, I, you know, but I uh, since my daughter moved there, you know, we we try to catch a show now and then. But uh, just it's, it's it's a great experience. And what Rhonda's doing is bring a home for everyone. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I just want to thank you again, Rhonda. It's uh, it, it's a pleasure, and, and it, it keep on keeping on. Thank you. Nice. Thank you so much for being there. Thank you and your feedback. Thank you. Thank you, John. Uh, First of all, on Norman Lear, if I may, real quick, he, the one thing you have to admit about him, he was the king of uh, spinoffs. I mean, oh God, he was. You know, to, uh, how many did he have? You know, where he introduced a character for one show, and then if that if that character worked, if those characters worked, then bomb, you got you know, all of a sudden you have another show. But I mean, uh, there's just, so uh, many. There's, I mean, all in the, how many? All in the family alone. All in the family gave us Jeffersons, right? right? Maud, right? Good times. Uh, good times. Archie Bunker's place. Yeah. Remember Gloria? Uh, Glor- Sally yeah. Struthers got her own spinoff. And then there was the, uh, the in in the 90s, they had the show where the black family moved into the house. Uh, Hauser, Hauser Street. I forget the number, but it, but it was, okay. uh, that's that's six, I think, of off the top of my head for All in the Family. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, if, if nothing else, he, he don't, he, the king of spinoffs for sure. Um and then, John, also, uh, your, your abortion uh, intro this, uh, today, you know, I, you know, of course, Catholic, you know, always struggle with it, uh, you know, from way back. But uh, you remember a song by the uh, duo Seals and Crofts, the song called Unborn Child? Okay. And it, it, was, it didn't go well at all. Warner Brothers, as a matter of fact, told them not to even release it because it was too controversial. Uh, we'll What's the song about? I don't know it. It's about a woman, you know, struggling whether to have a child or not, okay? It was just about the time that, uh, after Roe v. Wade passed. And so, I guess the producer of the album uh, had a, his wife or girlfriend was uh, struggling with the same decision. Anyway, right. it's, it's pro-life. It's a pro-life song. But, wow, uh, never heard it. About the sa- about same time as uh, it, Paul Anka's uh, Having My Babies, about that same era. By the way, let's let's not anyway, say pro-life, Mitch. Let's say anti-abortion. Not pro-life. Well, They're not pro-life. There you go. You know. Well, yeah. I mean, to their stand, to their stand. Right. But, uh, you know, I, I, when I, my song came out, you know, I was on the fence. I was really on the fence about, but you know what? It's not up to me. It ain't up to me. You know, it's a woman's yeah, it's not. decision, okay? It's not up to the yes. man, okay? That's Correct. Not, it, it, it's, it's so easy you know, for men. Abortion is so right. easy for guys. Guys, it's none of your business. You don't have to make right. any choices. Sit down and let a woman and her doctor figure things out. Have some dip. That's it. Exactly, exactly. But at the time, I had, my ex-sister-in-law was uh, pregnant from a boyfriend who, uh, you know, the, the guy was just, uh, he, was not, he didn't have a job, blah, blah, blah. He's just, he's just one of the worst, worst people on earth, and uh, uh, he, she was left pregnant. Or left, you know, wow, wow. Caring. But uh, at the time, she was struggling with the decision, but, but she did went ahead and have it done. And, you know, so we, you know, we supported her because it was a, Tough decision for her, and that's what changed my view on this the whole thing. When I saw what she went through, it right you know it, it you know it was a, the light that it told me that uh, it, that's for her to decide. And besides that, you know, it's not the state legislature or anybody else's pro, uh, decision. It's only her between her and her doctor. Between her right and her on. doctor, it should be left right. Rhonda, do you want to weigh in on this? I know you have thoughts on when it comes to the issue of women having well, control of their own destinies. I, I think the time for men to worry uh, about uh, women's reproductive health is, is when they're putting on a condom. I think Thank that's you. the best time. There we go. That's it. <laughs> that's maybe the only time when it is your business. Right. Well, it, it really is. That, that's the point of... Um, what is it? The the point of entry, the point of uh, the point of sale. <laughs> well, if you want to get if you want to get technical about it, sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
and um and, and not be involved in the uh the other aspect where they have really no idea the complications the timing how a woman may not even know that she's pregnant for quite mm. some time uh mm. how we can have ectopic pregnancies how right. we can have all kinds of things going wrong for for babies that we want to give birth to. I mean, there are there's so much to it that I think, you know, men need to be really on the birth control tip, so You're to right. speak. That, You're right. Uh, Mitch, anti, any, any, uh, Mitch, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, I'm just going to say that, you know, since we passed issue one here in Ohio, uh, I think it kind of took DeWine and the rest of them in Columbus by surprise, especially at a 60-40 decision. So I don't know if you heard or not, they're trying to mend this thing and and put it in their own language uh, after it passed, uh, you know, as far as uh, how many weeks and and so on. So uh, they're still trying to work against this, and they won't take yes for an answer. The the people have answered, and we answered yes, that uh, they have the right. So uh, hopefully that, uh, you know, a... if they want to put through a vote again, we'll vote again. You know, they, they just, uh, they won't take it, you know, they won't take the people's uh, reaction for an answer. And it's just, it, it just, uh, it's with the marijuana, the marijuana issue now. They're, they're putting amendments on that, too. Yeah, that's right. They're going to try. But again, they're Ohio. They're trying anything they can do to undo the will of the people. They tried to rig exactly. the vote so the vote wouldn't happen. Then they lost the vote so bad. And now they're doing anything they can do to undo right. the vote. My God, these Republicans hate yep. democracy. And that's consistent state to state. Mitch, I want to get one more call before the break. But thank you, sir. Trucker Steve, before the break, you're on with Rhonda Handsome. Hello. Hey, how you doing? It might be surprised. Hi. I think what Texas is doing is ridiculous. It's a good for you, situation. man. It's good not for elective. you. Yeah. When it's not elective, I'm 100 percent between you and your doctor, right? It's not That's elective. It. Uh, That's it. Uh, but I mean, but I mean, you know, it's it's always between a woman and her doctor. It's never your business or my business. But I'm 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 really impressed that you get it on this case because the woman's own doctor has told her if she ever wanted to have a baby again. She needs to terminate this pregnancy, and this child, if it's born, will live a very brief life of unrelieved agony and suffering before it dies after a day or two, and men are forcing her to carry it and have it. I mean, my God, I, 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 I just, I'm glad that you get it, man. Well, I get that. I, get, I got the, uh, uh, how old was she, 12 years old in Ohio? That's Ten. medically necessary. Ten. Uh, 10. That's way too dangerous for a 10-year-old to have a kid. That's medically necessary. Yeah, but there were plenty uh, of people who argued that, you know what, the rapist baby deserves to live and blah, blah, blah. And you know what? If if a rape victim decides she wants to carry and bear a rapist child, God bless her. I will admire her forever. But it's still none of my business if she keeps it or if she turns it Rhonda, And Rhonda, I'm 54 yes. years old, managed not to knock anybody up because I take precautions. <laughs> Right so, on. Uh, Good to know. But, uh, yeah, I'm not married. I feel, I feel much safer having sex with you now, Steve. Precautions. I feel very uh, safe uh, having no, sex man, with you knowing dude, all man. this. Thank you. Why can't I make a gay, man? Oh, dude. <laughs> there's anything wrong with that. Because <laughs> I wanted to make you uncomfortable before you said there's nothing wrong with that. Um, no worry. But, Rhonda, <laughs> I want to give you the last word before we, have, we actually have to hit a break. But this situation in Texas, I mean, this woman had to leave the state because she wants to have a baby again someday. And the men who run her state were very determined to make sure that would not happen. I hate to be a conspiracy theorist. I mean, first thing, they're closed down so many health centers for women. So that and then to make it illegal that a woman has to to travel like that in that condition. It's absurd, John. It It really is absurd. Steve, I appreciate your call and I appreciate your point on this. Oh, and by the way, checking in. That was the other spinoff from Norman Lear. The Jeffersons had a spinoff where Marla Gibbs went to have her own show as as the maid for like four episodes. So there were seven, I think, from Norman Lear. That's two calls ago. All right. We got to go. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Thea. I'm John Fugelstein. Keep it tuned to SiriusXM Progress. Peace. Peace.